As we turn our attention to the preached word this morning, this was, as we consider how life is, peace is a major part of life. It's a major theme in our world. People want peace. We want peace. It's it's very much tied to happiness and satisfaction is being at peace. And so I think of those signs during, you know, the Vietnam War. I wasn't alive then, but, you know, from the textbooks, I'll, you know, make peace, not war. Um, I think of parents saying, I just want some peace and quiet. I think of somebody who is in a relationship with somebody else and they say, oh, yeah, we're good. And you're thinking, I don't think everything's good with you and that person. And, you know, we have that we want peace, but we have very different ways of going about it. And very different understandings of what actually makes for peace. And so peace, is it's a major theme in the world, in our lives. It's also a major theme in the Bible. I think of how the Bible talks about peace starting with God and then flowing over into our relationships with one another. I think of when Jesus said to his disciples the night that he was betrayed, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so Jesus said, you know, I'm not just going to give you a peace. I'm going to give you my peace. That's what he said to his disciples. And he said, and it's totally different from the way the world goes about it. You know, the testimony of sin in the world is summed up in Romans 3.17 in this way. It says, and the way of peace they have not known. So I want to ask this morning, do you know the way of peace? That's the the testimony in Romans 3.17 is that people who are without God, without Christ, they, they don't even know the way of peace. Do you know the way of peace? Peace with God and peace with others. Well, Genesis chapters 42 and 43, they show us the family of God, God's chosen family, Jacob, and they are not at peace. The different family members are trying each to achieve peace, but in kind of their own way, either by continuing to deceive or continuing to grasp after idols. And yet God in his kindness, and he is so kind, so gracious to this family, in his kindness, he doesn't give up on them. He doesn't abandon. He actually works in a way to lead them to where peace is actually found. It is found in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so God gives us his word. When we come to God's word, sometimes God holds up his word and we see in it like a mirror. We see ourselves and we go, wait a second, they have a very warped view of peace. Wait a second, I'm like that. I I have a very warped view of peace as well. And that is designed by God that in so seeing we would be led to him, 
that we would be turning and, and therefore adopting the way of peace that he has laid out. So if you have your Bible open, we're going to be looking at Genesis 42 and 43 this morning. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I am going to read much of it. So if you have your Bible open to Genesis 42, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brothers, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land, that is, the vulnerability of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. So he puts them in custody. Skip down to verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. They said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. So the brothers then, after this, they travel home to Jacob their father. Look at verse 29. When they came to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. 
We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. And as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their fathers saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now would you take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring my gray hairs with, so- with sorrow to Sheol. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will not send our brother with us, we will not, we will go, I'm sorry, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive and do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die both we and you and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we we would now have returned twice. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bag and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise And go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, 
If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for authoring this word for our nourishment, for our growth, for, Lord, our peace, peace with you and peace with one another. Lord, I thank you that you don't give up on your people, though your people Often, Lord, as we, your people, we often go astray in our hearts that you are relentless in your love and in your grace to come and to seek us out. And I pray this morning you would do that, that very thing, Lord, of going after my heart and our hearts that we might treasure Christ alone, that we might see you, that we might walk with you, that we might, Lord, rest in you. I pray today, Lord, to whatever degree there is self-striving, Lord, that it would be renounced, that we would be wholly returning to the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you made that possible through your Son and His sacrifice. We thank you that you make that possible by your Holy Spirit and the power that's available. And Lord, we thank you that you have not turned your back on your people. We marvel. And so comfort us, instruct us, convict us today, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, as you may recall, Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. And his father favored him, gave him a special coat, and his brothers envied his father's favoritism as a result. They took Joseph, they sold Joseph as a slave, and he went down to Egypt. And for 13 years, he was either a slave or in prison. But after interpreting a couple of dreams of Pharaoh, he was raised to be second in command, the governor over the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt, if you've looked at a map, Egypt and Israel are far apart, But they're not that far. And it's been seven years of famine. In seven years, now Joseph, having the power that he has, could very easily have tried to visit his father or at least sent a message or a messenger. Hey, it's Joseph. I'm alive. Things are well with me in Egypt. Now, we don't know why he didn't do that. But the story picks up with the famine reaching the land of Canaan. After the seven years of plenty, now it's starting the seven years of famine, and the famine is reaching the land of Canaan, and the brothers return or come to Egypt in seeking grain. So it's been 20 years since he has seen his brothers. Time has passed. And often we can think that time heals wounds, and time somehow mysteriously brings about peace, but it, it doesn't. The brothers' version of peace that they've been operating with these past 20 years is peace by continued deception. Peace by continued 
deception. Most of this passage in Genesis 42 and 43 focuses on the brothers. They not only sold Joseph into Egypt, but they deceived their father both initially and they have kept up that deception for 20 years. And so when they arrive during the the famine to get grain, Joseph recognizes them. And there's a lot of things he could have said at this moment, but he decides he's going to test them. He accuses them of being spies. And they not only respond, no, no, we're not spies, we've never been spies, but they say of a, a thing of themselves, a term, and it's used throughout the chapter, they call themselves honest men. Now we know, and they know, And Joseph knows they are not honest men. But this phrase gets repeated over and over in this passage. They speak of themselves as honest men while they continue to deceive. And so over the course of chapters 42, 43, 44, Joseph gives them three tests to both see where they're at after 20 years, but also to lead them to the Lord. So he gives them the bring Benjamin test, the dinner portions test, and the stolen cup test. And so Joseph confines the brothers for three days. He says in verse 16, he says, I I want you to send one of the brothers home and the rest need to stay here in custody. And so they have three days to think over Who's going to get sent home to Papa? You know, I, as I was growing up, I had those uh, choose-your-own-adventure books. I don't know if anybody was familiar with that. Uh, you would flip, you would decide what you wanted to do in the book, and you'd flip to the page and see what, what you got to do. But every time, it was like a fork in the road, and you got to choose. Well, Joseph gives them a, a choose-your-own-adventure. And they're thinking it over. Hmm, do I want to stay in an Egyptian prison Or do I want to be the one brother who goes home and says, hey, dad, yeah, by the way, the the brothers are in prison and I need Benjamin. Uh, Can you send him with me? I don't know which is worse, being in an Egyptian prison or being the solo brother to come back and ask for Benjamin. It sounds more like choose your own poison than choose your own adventure. So after three days, Joseph chooses for them. Instead of sending one home and all the rest staying, he says, actually, we're going to send all but one. So one stays, all the rest go. He says that in verse 19. In verse 18, Joseph brings up God. He says, I fear God. And then he uses their term, honest men. We will see if you really are honest men. And then they, they start wrestling at this moment. Verse 21. They don't realize Joseph can hear him. Look at verse 21. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. Do you hear what they're 
acknowledging here in verse 21. They said, the truth is, we're guilty. The, the truth is, we are not honest men. And they instantly refer back to what happened 20 years prior. It, it's been that long, two decades, and yet it's so fresh for them in this moment that they're realizing, able to just recall it. They haven't forgotten. And so Joseph chooses for Simeon to stay, to be the brother in custody. We don't know why. Um, he may be thinking that, you know, Reuben is the firstborn, but an and heir to his father's uh, earnings, but he may be thinking about what Reuben did in Genesis 35, how he violated his father's concubines. He, so he's thinking, well, he's not the heir. Maybe it's Simeon, the secondborn. He's the most valuable hostage here. That may have been what he was thinking. But in verse 28, they find the money in the mouth of their sacks. And for the first time recorded in Genesis, the brothers bring up God. They say, what is this that God has done to us? So it's this glimmer of hope. They're realizing in truth we are not honest men. They're bringing up God for the first time. What is God doing to us? But instead of getting home, coming clean with their father and saying, Dad, we've been keeping up a lie for a long, long time. We need to tell you. They don't do that. Instead, they repeat three times that they're honest men. And they asked Jacob to send Benjamin back with them to Egypt. You see, the brother's version of peace is peace by continued deception. They've subscribed to this version of peace for 20 years. Just bury it. Just don't think about it. Just ignore it and hopefully it'll go away. Things go better for us if we just act like that didn't happen. And if we have to keep up the lies in order to keep it up, we do whatever we can. We're keeping the peace. Like I said before, we often have such distorted or warped views of peace and it leads us to things that are like this. And yet, church, the Bible makes clear there is no peace in wickedness. There is no peace as we walk in deception and we keep on sinning against God and against others. There's no peace as we try to hold all things together with our web of deception. You know, perhaps you're here today and you are trying to keep the peace and you're resorting to lying and deception in order to keep it. You tell yourself, Things will go better for me if I just lie. Well, this is God's kindness to you this morning. This is God helping us to see, just like it was with the brothers, no, that is not real peace. 1 John 1.7 encourages real peace. Here it is. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, this is where real peace is found. Not in continued deception, 
but in walking with God, walking with others, walking in the light, confessing sin, forsaking it, and receiving the cleansing that he promised that Jesus alone brings. And so the brothers have a version of peace. It's peace by continued deception. Well, their father Jacob has another version of peace. And it, too, is a warped version. It's peace by continued grasping. Peace by continued grasping. As many of you know, more attention is given in the book of Genesis to Jacob than to any other character, just in terms of span of the books of the Bible, or uh, the span of the book. Jacob's name means he cheats. Or he takes by the heel. This is what he did with his brother Esau. This is what he did with his father Isaac. He deceived his own father just like his sons are now deceiving him. Jacob has idols. When I say idol, I I don't mean like a little figurine that a person bows down to like in their house. An idol is anything we love more than God. Anything we, and it can even be good things, but it's something that we love or we seek or we worship more than the true and living God. That's an idol. Well, in Jacob's life, he's got lots of idols. He idolized his wife, Rachel. He idolized Joseph. Now he's idolizing Benjamin. Everyone in Jacob's life is feeling the collateral damage that comes from his idolatry. His favoritism. Now God's been at work in this man. We've seen that. He's not the same man that he once was. God has changed him and is changing him. But he's now 130 years old. And his grip on his idolatry is strong. And God is still seeking to pull his fingers off of his idols. And so when his sons return, Jacob does have good reason to be suspicious. His sons go, they come back, Joseph's missing, and there's this elaborate story. His sons go, they come back, Simeon's missing, and there's this elaborate story. Let me guess what's going to happen if I send Benjamin. You're going to go, you're going to come back, there's going to be some elaborate story as to why Benjamin is no more. But look at Jacob's paradigm. Look at verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Do you hear his focus there? What does Jacob think his problem is? His problem is everything else. Everybody else. All this has come against me. Jacob sees himself as the victim. He sees the bad things that happen to them. He sees the loss. But you know what he doesn't see? His favoritism. His idolatry. 
that is literally tearing this family apart. He doesn't see his own deception and that his boys are just a chip off the old block. And so chapter 42 ends with Joseph or Jacob saying, there's no way I'm sending Benjamin. And he just hopes, his hope at the end is, I just hope this famine goes away and I don't have to send Benjamin. He keeps grasping. But chapter 43 opens with the reality, the famine is not going away. And we know it's not going away anytime soon. They're going to need food again. They need food again. And so he comes up with a plan that allows him to keep his hold on his idol, Benjamin. He says to his boys, boys, go back and get more food. Just totally ignores the Benjamin question. And then Judah speaks up and he says, we can't do that. We can't go without Benjamin. And so Jacob plays the victim again. Verse 6, Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man you had another brother. Jacob's feeling the the stalemate of this moment. If he keeps Benjamin, they all die, including himself and Benjamin. If he sends Benjamin, Benjamin's as good as dead. And so Judah does something remarkable. Verse 9, he offers himself as a pledge of safety. He says, I'll, blame, I'll bear the blame forever if Benjamin doesn't return. Now, Jacob doesn't have a choice, so he invokes God's name. God Almighty. May God Almighty, may God All-Powerful grant you mercy before the man. Now, notice he's invoking God's name. But he's invoking God's name in the service and the keeping of his idol. He wants God to help him keep his grip on what he really, really wants. See, Jacob wants peace. But he wants it on his terms. He wants peace. He wants to keep grasping. And he wants God to help him. And God Almighty does help him but it's by loosening his grip on his idols. So the brothers, they return with Benjamin. They present themselves before the steward, Joseph's steward. And they're afraid because it looks like they stole money last time they were there. And the steward says in verse 23, he says, he proclaims peace to them. He replies, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God And the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. Now this this word here, peace, it's a common one you may be familiar with. It's the Hebrew shalom. It speaks of completeness. It speaks of wholeness. It speaks of things being right with God and things being right with others. Peace. It, It was the standard Hebrew greeting. They would greet one another with this this word of peace. And that's what the steward proclaims to them as they're troubled, as they're afraid. Peace to you. And then look down at verse 27. Joseph inquires about his father's peace. It says, then he inquired about their welfare. That's the Hebrew, shalom, their peace. And said, 
Is your father well? That is, is he at peace in the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, your father, your servant, our father is at Shalom. He's at peace. He's still alive. 20 years prior, when Joseph left his father, his father said, I want you to go check on your brothers and check on the flock. I want you to see if everything is shalom with them, if everything's at peace. And Joseph arrived and found everything is not at peace with my brothers. And so for these last 20 years, these brothers and Jacob, their father, they, they have not been at peace. There's been, there hasn't been peace in this family for a long time. The brothers are still speaking as though they are honest men. Jacob is still holding to his idol, still blaming, still grasping, still seeking peace in his own way. Now this story reaches its climax in the next chapter, which we'll look at next Sunday. But even here, we get a glimpse of where true and lasting peace comes from. It is peace through Jesus Christ. It is not by continued deception. It is not by continued grasping. It comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And really, the main characters in our story of Joseph, Judah, and Jacob all point us to the peace that's found in Jesus. So Joseph. Joseph could have ignored his brothers. Joseph could have taken out retribution against his brothers. He knows that they are not honest men. He could have called them on it, but he uses his power to save the very people who rejected him. And in so doing, he points us to salvation in Jesus Christ. This is where peace is found for sinners like you and like me. We, we can say, with, like the brothers say in verse 21, in truth, we are guilty. Because church, we have sinned against a holy God. And Jesus, rather than using his power to destroy, he uses his power to save. He uses his power to be the prince of peace and lead us in the way of peace with God and with others. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's shalom. It's wholeness. It's completeness. It's everything, everywhere it was supposed to be. It's real peace. And so like Joseph, Jesus uses his power to save. To bring that peace. But Judah also points us to the peace that can only be found in Jesus. Judah becomes a pledge of safety for Benjamin. A pledge of safety. If anything happens, if anything bad happens to him, to Benjamin, Judah says, I will bear the blame forever. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He becomes a, the ultimate pledge of safety, church. We sinned. We deserve to bear our own blame. 
We, we deserve to be punished for what we've done before a holy God. Jesus bore the sin of all who trust in him when he died on the cross. He became a pledge of safety. That's why when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering, I, I'm safe. The broken body, the shed blood, the payment's been made, and it's his pledge. That's what a covenant is, a covenant of safety. You know, some people can think and even read this passage and be like, wow, this family this is messed up. I'm glad I'm not that bad of a person. I, I haven't sold any of my siblings into slavery. I'm not living a 20-year lie. Man, those people, they really need a Savior. But truth be told, church, we go page after page and we realize, boy, I'm a lot more like them than unlike them. We are all in the same boat. We all need a pledge of safety. Someone who says, I'm going to bear his blame, her blame, their blame forever. And that's Jesus. There is no safety apart from him. So Joseph points us to Jesus. Judah points us to Jesus and the salvation and the peace that's found in Jesus. But so does Jacob. And I love this. Jacob's idolizing his son Benjamin. Benjamin's name literally means son of my right hand. Close. Beloved. Son of my right hand. God makes peace by doing willingly what Jacob is only doing reluctantly. God the Father gives his beloved son. And he does it willingly. Judah pled with him, send your son so that we may live and not die. Reuben pleaded with him and he said, no way. There is no way I'm giving my beloved son? Are you kidding? And God does willingly. He didn't have to have his fingers pried off. The father gave, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came willingly, showing over and over again, I'm here to accomplish the will of my Father, and he did it so that we might live and not die. So real peace in this chapter. Well, we see how it doesn't come. It doesn't come by continued deception, by ignoring by, by acting like nothing ever happened. It doesn't come by grasping on to our idols. No, it comes only through Jesus Christ as we see our need for Him, as we see God's willingness to meet our need. Jesus became that pledge of safety. Jesus is the beloved Son who is willingly given from the Father so that we might walk with Him and know Him and worship him forever. I can invite the worship team to please return. Peace comes from God, and peace comes at a cost. 
Years ago, I was moved by an account that I heard of some missionaries who went to Papua New Guinea, and they were seeking to reach these, these tribal people called the Sawi people. And the Sawi people, they live in tribe, like little, you know, separate tribes, and they're constantly attacking one another. They were cannibals, headhunters, so they would attack and kill and eat members of those other tribes. And they would do it in in treacherous ways. Treachery was one of their values. So if they could make another tribe think that they were going to like be kind to them and then pounce on them, that was celebrated. So the missionaries were just, you know, looking at it and they were shocked by it. And so at one point though, they, when they would get tired of um, attacking one another, they would try to make peace. And it was, it was hard to make. The missionaries were sharing with them about Jesus during this time. And they heard about Jesus and they're like, he sounds weak. Like he's the one getting beat up. He's the one getting attacked and crucified. He sounds weak. And then they heard of Judas Iscariot and they're like, oh, now he sounds like a hero. He is awesome. He drew in Jesus's confidence and then killed him. And so they, you know, were looking at that and celebrating that. Well, When they went to make peace, tribe against tribe, the missionaries noticed there was one way that it could be done that that they did, and that is one tribe would take a child and they would give it to to the other tribe to live in that tribe. And it was called the peace child. The missionaries instantly related that, and they said, you know what? God has given his peace child. God has given us his son. And as long as that child lived, there was peace between the tribes. And they say, yeah, as long as he lives, and he lives forever, there's peace between us and God. And he doesn't just come and live here. He, he died for our sin. He rose from the dead, and he now reigns at the Father's right hand. And as long as he lives, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way, but God has made that way. It is the way of peace, church. And God calls us through this passage to walk with him, to have peace by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to have peace with God, and for that to affect our relationships with one another. Let's pray. Lord, it is absolutely marvelous that you do willingly, so willingly, what Jacob did reluctantly. What Abraham must have been beside himself to consider. Give my son? I can't. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace that makes this possible for your abundance of your heart that is so lavish. We don't deserve to be anything other than your enemies. And yet you make us your children. Bring us into your family. Bring reconciliation with you that then affects all of these other areas. And so, Lord, I pray today to the degree that we are adopting the ways of the brothers or adopting the way of Jacob Lord, I pray you'd help us to renounce that and adopt peace possible 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for empowering us. Thank you, Lord, for taking the first step towards us. And we pray your help and we pray your grace in Jesus' name.